listening to Radio Free Hills on 101.7 FM. Hi, this is Alexa. Today I will be welcoming you all to the second episode of The Book Broadcast, brought to you by me as an excuse or rather a fun opportunity to talk about some of my favorite books with some of my favorite people. Last episode I mentioned that I would be discussing a Tom Stoppard play in this episode, but instead I'm going to be moving that to next Times episode. So we're going to be doing something a little bit different today. Instead, I have the privilege of introducing our first ever guest on the show, Miss Kate Lawson. Kate, can you say hello? Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here today. So Kate is a good friend of mine and a fellow Hillsdale student. We attended the same high school together and I've been so lucky to be able to continue going to school with her in college. I'm so glad I could have you on today, Kate. It's been wonderful. I just give a little background info. So our, our, our senior class in high school is pretty strong in the English literature department, but <laughs> Kate definitely stuck out as one of the top students. She is an amazing oh. reader and writer, and I have recruited her expert knowledge for editing many of my papers, uh, many last minute papers, I should say. 10 out of 10 would recommend majoring in the same subject as your best friend. It's great, <laughs> um, but I don't want to get too ahead of my health. I don't want to get too ahead of myself. So let me give you the floor, Kate. Could you tell me a little bit about yourself, like your year, your major, some extra things we might need to know? Just go ahead and jump in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm a junior here at Hillsdale College. I'm an English major, as Alexa said, art minor. High praise, by the way. Thank you very much. Woohoo, of course. Um, and learning about English and art in juxtaposition has really been a wonderful thing because I found that they're kind of mutually reinforcing in a sense um, to say nothing of like the more modern iteration of fan art. Mm -hmm. um, all the things that we read in literature like the Iliad or the Odyssey or even biblical stories have widely been represented in art, which I think is really beautiful. Um, just that um, writing and yeah. uh, art are both forms of image making and pursuing meaning. Mm -hmm. um, and so I find that really valuable yeah. Um, and I think it's also kind of valuable for this story, but that's also jumping ahead. So <laughs> No, no, not at all. That was a beautiful answer. Thank you so much. Um, it's great to hear about you. And man, I, I see how music and art or art and uh, literature work in conjunction. So it's great to yeah. hear you talk music about too. that. Music too. And music, yeah. But <laughs> that's not what this show covers. <laughs> right. Dang it. But yeah. <laughs> another time. But before we jump into things, I also, you know, this is a, a show when we talk about where we talk about our favorite books. I want to know what is your favorite book? I know that's a super unfair question but if you could choose one what would you say is your favorite book yeah uh that's definitely hard to say especially mm -hmm. since i've found that books kind of grow in meaning for me mm -hmm. over time because like i've read them when i'm at a certain place in my life and then if i read them again they have totally different meanings and also authors can imbue so much meaning into their work mm -hmm. that it usually takes several several reads of a specific book to kind of like find everything that's there mm -hmm. um yeah, and I found also that sometimes I'm not ready to receive certain books. Mm -hmm. um, like, I read Paradise Lost. Well, you remember this. We read Paradise Lost <laughs> in ninth grade. Didn't oh understand God. any of it. It was such <laughs> a huge jump from anything else we'd read. But mm. um, I read it again this past semester for the third time, actually. Right. Um, and each time, there's just been more. There's just been more to get out of it. Um, sorry for being so long-winded there. But no, <laughs> to answer fine. your question, I would say... The Scarlet Letter by mm -hmm. Nathaniel Hawthorne. Um, I love the language. I love the imagery. I love the exploration of just kind of the duality of man, how man is capable of such darkness, but also such beauty and innocence, mm -hmm. um, and the redemption that comes out of that. 
So mm-hmm. I would say the Scarlet Letter for sure. That is a beautiful response. I already said that, but I'm going to say it again <laughs> because it was. Um, but Scarlet Letter is an incredible work. And yeah, it really shows those different perspectives on human nature and that sort of thing, which kind of, you know, dives into the story we will be reading today. So um, as opposed to some English literature or some British literature, we're going to be working on some German literature today. So the piece we're covering today is called The Runenberg by Ludwig Tieck. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, But this is a short story. And actually, Kate picked it out. So I invited her on the show. And I said, like, kind of, what would you like to talk about? And she brought forth this piece. So tell me, when did you first interact with this piece? When did you first read it? Who did you read it with? And why this Mm -hmm. story? Sure. Um, I read it last semester in a German romanticism class with our very own Dr. Dwight Lindley. Um, And this was, um, I think, a new 400-level class I think that was kind of Dr. Lindley's baby, um, <laughs> something he was so excited to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and honestly, I picked it because it sounded cool, and I had no idea <laughs> what German romanticism was. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just found, uh, first of all, just learning about a new, relatively unknown subject was so great. Um, but I just found that German romanticism, we're going to talk more about it, Mm -hmm. um, obviously, but in general, there's just so much influence on imagery and um, in some ways kind of deconstructing traditional literature. And and for this story in particular, um, not to spoil too much, I was really interested in the way in which the story kind of concretized human brokenness, but also... um, presents it in a kind of mystical fairy tale esque way. Right. Um, which is really interesting and beautiful. Um and it's also just kind of moody and poetic, which <laughs> I am all about. <laughs> right. Yeah, definitely. And we're gonna explore those themes and that sort of imagery a little bit more in a second. Um but yeah, I was really excited when you brought this piece forth to me because I hadn't read any German literature until this, I think. So it was really cool to be able to do that. And on that note, I'd like to give you guys some fast facts um about the author and the work itself. Unfortunately, I was not able to take Lindley's German romanticism course, so I had to do some background research. But Ludwig Tieck was a. Hope I'm saying that right. <laughs> Please correct um, me. We pronounced it as Tieck, but on it. To be honest, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of difficult. <laughs> Hopefully, his uh, ghost won't haunt me. So, <laughs> well, given the content of his stories, <laughs> he oh might. Gosh. Oh gosh. <laughs> well, love, love, <laughs> Ludwig Tieck. Tieck was a German roman- <clears throat> German poet and writer who was born in Berlin and lived from 1773 to 1853. He was known as one of the figureheads of the German Romantic period, an era of aesthetic innovation with a special focus on the natural world and the supernatural world, the limits of human will and human nature, and fits of passion and the influx of great bouts of emotions, just all that sort of ugh, raw emotion and sentimentality. So works of this period... Um, have a combined historical, philosophical, and epistemological um, character as people seek to make sense of an expanding Europe and afflicted Germany. In Nicholas's Saul's, um, in Nicholas Saul's The Cambridge um, Companion to German Romanticism, he mentions that by 1794, the French occupied all of Germany west of the Rhine. So this kind of hints at a backdrop of political and national tensions. And at this point, Germany is more or less um, a series of fragmented states with remnants of the old feudal system. So Saul kind of comments on the French Revolution's role in promoting the idea of rebellion, like a violent destruction of the old for the new. These ideas of revolution um, 
uh, kind of seem to overshadow the Enlightenment and the Judeo-Christian sentiments of stability and progress at times and bring more themes of chaos and a more fraught theory of theology and man's understanding of his purpose in the world. Um, so Tiek himself, or Tiek himself, was raised um, in a with classical education and attended college um, at the universities of Hall, Göttingen, and Erlangen. Hopefully one of those was correct. And in the 1790s, he entered the writing world with his first novel, William L Lovell, a classic story of a youthful idealist and his downfall. Teek also wrote poetry, short stories, even some treatises on rationalistic philosophy. And as he got older, his stories took on a more intense and realistic character. And he ended up working as a court author for the King of Prussia in the 1840s. Um, so I don't know if you have any uh, additions to my little historical narrative about Teak. Um, just try to give some background details about the time period. Yeah. Who's Teak? I, I don't know. Do you have anything to add on top of that that would be useful as we jump into his story? Yeah, honestly, you you told me a lot I didn't know. Oh. Um, but something, <laughs> yeah, something helpful mm -hmm. um, that we talked about in class was that there was kind of a shift from the early period of German Romanticism, which mm -hmm. was very just focused on the beauty of the human person and conceived of the spiritual mm -hmm. as something that's also really beautiful and giving just, you know, um, just light. Um, and later, as we kind of see in this story, the um, spiritual is not necess necessarily as much something you pursue, hmm. but something you're pursued by. So the spiritual kind of takes on a darker tone in the later years of German Romanticism. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's funny because I'm just now kind of learning this like I've read a little bit of history but I'm able to slowly see these things appear in the text given that yeah. I haven't read that much but even in the Runenberg I, I kind of saw mm -hmm. some of these things jump out so before we get into the meat of the text per se let's work on summarizing the plot so beware spoilers <laughs> um, so actually so we start with a youth named Christian I don't know do you want to go ahead and take this away give us a um, yeah sure kind of like a general plot line for us to follow yeah sure absolutely um, as you said, our narrator is named Christian. He's a hunter. And at the beginning of the story, um, we find him in the mountains. He has just left his home behind. Um, he wants to strike out on his own um, and pursue a career in hunting. Um, but at this time, night's falling. He's feeling a bit lonely, um, and he feels really restless. Um, so he kind of absentmindedly pulls up a root, um, a, piece of, a piece of grass that's next to him, and it screams. So, of course, he runs away. Um, right. And then suddenly he bumps into this stranger that's also walking in the woods for some reason. So they talk for a bit. Um, and eventually the stranger points him to a nearby mountain called the Runenberg, which translates to Rune Mountain. Um, and uh, Christian is really excited about it. He runs up to it. Um, and he finds a window in the side of the mountain. Mm -hmm. um, and he peers through it. Um, and when he peers through it, he sees just this great hall of gold and jewels. Um, <laughs> and walking inside it mm -hmm. is this unearthly woman um, who looks like a goddess mm -hmm. um, and is also just dressed very lavishly in, in lavish clothes. Um, she sings a song and still Wait, seems kind of... Wait, we gotta we gotta save a little bit for later. We're gonna take a quick break. Oh. We need you guys to hang on. 
because it, it's just building up. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break right now. So I'm so, so sorry to interrupt you, but we got to leave them on a cliffhanger. So we're going <laughs> to take, take a break real quickly. I um, just want to remind you guys, you're listening to Radio Free Hill Zone on 101.7 FM, the book broadcast. Thank you. All right, welcome back. You're listening to the book broadcast on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. All right, Kate, can you bring us back in? Sorry, I just I want to leave us a little cliffhanger. So we're looking <laughs> at this woman. Yeah, looking at this woman. Um, she's singing, sings a song, and then, sorry, I should have given a warning at the beginning of this about how weird this story would get. <laughs> so here's your warning. Um, she starts taking off her clothes. <laughs> And eventually, um, it's just walking around the cavern completely naked. And we th- and uh, Christian thinks that uh, she can't see him. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, she turns around and reaches mm-hmm. up to him and hands him a bejeweled golden tablet mm-hmm. and says, Take this in remembrance of me. Mm-hmm. Then he passes out and falls off the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as you do, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and that's the end of the story. No, no, there's right, more. Right, that would be um, yeah, he um wakes up. The sun is shining. Um, and he just keeps walking. He thinks the events of the night before must be a dream or something. Um, so as he keeps walking, he finds a village. Um, just like the one um he just left his parents in. Um, <laughs> but he eventually settles there and marries a local woman named Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have children. Um, so they spend a few years um, just kind of in this normal, idyllic life. But Christian quickly becomes restless again. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's worried about his family who he left behind. So he goes on a journey to find his father. Um, so he travels for a little bit. He um, misses his family terribly. Um but as it turns out, his father decided to look for his son, too. So um, they kind of meet midway, Christian and his father, and have a reunion and return to their home together. Um, and again, they live for a couple years in peace. Um, but that changes when a stranger arrives in the village and lives with them for a couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, after three months or so, he says... Um, you know what? I'm I'm taking off. I I have other things to do. I I want to, um, kind of pursue an exciting future um, outside of the village. But he leaves Christian a sum of gold, um, and says, "If I don't come back, you can keep it." Um, so Christian, after the stranger leaves, becomes obsessed with the gold and mm-hmm. um, is. Um, even says to his father at one point, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, um, mm. I hope the stranger never comes back so I can keep the gold. Yeah. Um, and it just slowly, like, preys on his mind more and more um, to the point that he's not sleeping and um, he, yeah, is just clearly kind of consumed by this. Um, and Christian's father warns him against it um, and and warns him to kind of return to their their Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but he doesn't. He actually, I think, um, he is about to go to church, but he suddenly just turns around and runs into the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, in the woods, he meets a 
an old woman, an ugly old woman, um, who introduces herself as the wood woman or Waldweeb um, in German. Um, and even though she doesn't look like the woman he saw at the Rudenberg before, he recognizes her somehow. It's the same woman. Um, and she leaves him the tablet on the ground that he lost all those years ago in the mountain um, and disappears. Right. So he returns home and um, shows his father the tablet. Um, and his father um, exhorts him just to turn away from, from his obsession with gold and his lust for jewels and all this. Um, but he's unsuccessful. So Christian leaves his family behind and um, ventures into the woods to be with the Waldweeb. Right. Um, his wife is left to a life of poverty, and his father dies. Um, so, yeah, pr pretty pretty dismal ending. Right. But that's not the end. <laughs> At the very end of the tale, yeah, Christian reappears, actually, um, barefooted and bearded and dirty. Mm -hmm. um, but he's unrecognizable to his wife and his children. His children actually cry because his appearance is so frightening. Mm -hmm. um, and... They have a brief conversation, but ultimately um, his wife, Elizabeth, and his children are grieved, and right. um, Christian is never seen by them again. He's just completely, completely yeah. mad. Right. Which is, it's, it's heavy. It's a heavy story. And, it is. And, yeah, you know what? We, I can start by sharing some of my thoughts about this <laughs> after another quick break. So I'm just yes. going to cut out really quickly yeah we're gonna take a quick break and we will be back and get into more of our thoughts so just to remind you guys you're listening to the book broadcast on radio free hillsdale on 101.7 fm welcome back you're listening to the book broadcast on radio free hillsdale on 101.7 fm all right so we just finished um giving you guys a pretty good summary about what happened so now i want to take a little bit of a closer look at the text and see some of the themes that crop up a crop up within it so <clears throat> before reading this kate told me to pay a lot of attention to the um the world of stone and the world of plants and so um i want you to provide some thoughts on the matter but i want to go ahead and read a line from the work that i feel really captures the tension between the two worlds and the consequence of following of christian following the world of stone and these like primal intense urges for the novel like what happens and because at one point his father is speaking to him, trying to get him to stop looking to pursue the wood woman and um, go after all these desires away from family, away from the home, um, away from the natural and after the supernatural, he wants to stay. And so he says, he says, his father says to him, in quote, then is his enchanted heart no longer human, but of cold metal. He who loves not flowers has lost all love and fear of God. End quote. Mm, and so it is I this, love that. even though it's like, you know, a love for plants, what does a love for plants have to do with God and the family and like, like, I don't know, truth and beauty and those sorts of things. But there, there's something natural in, in being in tune with the world and trusting in the world yeah. of plants and mm. nature and not pursuing the world of stone and mountains because the mountains come to represent something that's kind of always at the brink always the the brink of emotional interest something new at all times yeah. and mm -hmm. nature represents this cycle something repetitive that you're used to that you return to that you continuously dedicate time to and then the, you know the mountains and the stones and whatnot is this new thing and 
you know, nature is stable and it's what's most healthy for you, not the world of the cold stone and the metal and everything. So I don't know if do you want to provide any thoughts on those sorts of things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that, what you said was great. I would love to look first at um, the way Christian talks about um, his desire for gold. Um, and this is kind of in the reverse. I want to kind of take it in the reverse order of the story. But um, yeah. he says, um, after his father sings a song about flowers, which I want to return to later. Um, but he says, what wonderful, incalculable treasures must there still be in the depths of the earth? Could one but sound into their sacred beds and raise them up and snatch them to oneself? Could one but clasp this earth like a beloved bride to one's bosom so that in pain and love she would willingly grant one her costliest riches? Mm. Um, so he does talk about the love of a bride here, um, which I think is an important consideration, but he's talking about taking Mm-hmm. Um, and he's talking about kind of violence about making the earth kind of yield up the gifts that it has. Um, and I think that's what this world of this world of um, stone and metal is characterized by. Mm. Um, even the act of making metal, he says kind of his heart, uh, his father says his heart is made of metal. Metal is made by this kind of violent act of um heating heating something and and um i guess beating it into submission i mean there are also positive connotations with that image but in this case that's kind of the image that's being brought up um so i think that's what the world of stone kind of is but i also want to talk about why christian finds um the world of plants so repulsive um i think he says this a bit earlier yeah um, he talks about, um, I think he references the scream that he hears when he pulls up a, up a root. Um, and he says, I remember well that it was a plant which first made known to me the misery of the earth. Never till then did I understand the sighs and lamentations one may hear on every side throughout the whole of nature, if one but give ear to them. In plants and herbs, in trees and flowers, it is the painful writhing of one universal wound that moves and works. They are the corpse of foregone glorious worlds of rock. They offer to our eye a horrid universe of putrefaction. Mm. Um, so ultimately, he's talking about death. Um, and he's talking about the fact that plants die. That's yeah. just a natural part of what plants are. Right. Um, and... I guess, I mean, plants are alive um, and they grow and they kind of move of them own. And I mean, maybe that's why um, Teak made that plant scream when it was pulled up because it can feel, it can feel pain and um, because it's it's alive, it's, it's a growing thing. Um, and also you talked about the cycle of nature earlier that includes that cycle of life and growth and death. Right. Um, and that's what Christian wanted to get away from. He, um, on the very first page of the story. Yeah. Um, We're going to probably take the next couple seconds to wrap up too, unfortunately. Oh, wait, are we almost done? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. I, I, I can finish this up really quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, he leaves home to seek out new acquaintances to escape from the circle of returning habitude. Yeah. So it's th- that cycle he wants to escape. But his father reveals something beautiful in the cycle. Um, 
he sings a song about flowers um, and the way that they kind of love the sun. Um, smiling, look thee in the face, by, decree, by degrees that way in this. To the golden sun they're turning till they meet his glowing kiss. And their hearts with love are burning. Um, and he says, love comes to us here below, discord harsh away removing. And the heart cries, now I know, sadness, fondness, pain of loving. Um, and also, this is what they joy in most, to depart in, in fondest weakness. So he's um, his father is talking about um, that even in, even in death, there's love. There's gift of oneself to another. Right. Um, and that's kind of what plants provide us, even by the idea of the harvest, that um, plants through the cycle of life and death, they reach ripeness just before the season of winter so um, we can eat them and we fill their home our homes with with plants to help us through the winter so that's kind of what he's talking about the redemption that is found in right. in death and that's christian christian fears that right yeah definitely yeah d oh, man i was like i don't even have anything to add and i, I hate <laughs> to cap our time but we are already over time so i'm going to have oh. to end it here but you know just to follow up and conclude or provide some concluding thoughts on what kate said like she's already done a really good job of observing through the world of plant and stone the way that this story just is really focuses on the tension between idleness and restlessness and the way that disordered passions can take you into destruction there is you need there is a level of contentment that is important for life there's mm. a level of fulfillment you find in contentment and not just always pursuing something new something interesting something that brings you to the precipice of your emotions all the time it's not always what you need there is a needed stability so yeah. unfortunately we're gonna have to wrap things up right now because we are just about at time would love to have you on in the future again Kate um, yeah. but we're gonna have to say goodbye to old Teak for right now so thank you so much for joining us Kate it was such a pleasure to have you on the show and it's kind of great because we are already naturally kind of do this thing together where we <laughs> hang out and talk about books so this is just like a typical Tuesday for us but yeah um, it was great to hear from you I'd love to have you again on in the future thank you thank you so much for having me and thank you Teek for writing such a great story ah chef's kiss all right thank you. <laughs> thank you so much Kate I'll see you later thanks okay. for joining us today you're listening to the book broadcast on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM tune in next week for some musings on another writing